This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr., writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. And today I'm joined by Dr. Jim Heiss from Door County Medical Center, where he is the chief medical officer. Dr. Heiss, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Miles. Good to have you back on. I kind of wish I didn't have to have you back on, but as we know, it's, uh, <laughs> COVID had went from, you know, it hasn't been quiet in a little while, but it, it kind of hit a point this week that, you know, in the, over the last couple of weeks, actually, that I thought it might be good to have you back on, talk to listeners about what the status is at the hospital in the region in Northeast Wisconsin, and what people need to be thinking about, especially as we head into the holidays. So thanks for joining me. You bet. I think yesterday what I saw is, you know, the, the case counts, and you and I have talked about this before, you're not necessarily as concerned about the raw case numbers as much anymore, but more about the hospitalizations. And I know I talked to Brian Stevens, your CEO, back in September, and he was at that time hopeful, like, hey, I think we've seen the crest of this latest wave. Hopefully we get through this and we can get back to normal. And now you're seeing hospitalizations pop back up. I think yesterday there were five new ones. And I know that uh, your daily census there for, for COVID patients has been probably as high for as long as you guys have seen. But maybe I'll let you tell us where you guys are at. Yeah, I mean, we we actually yesterday just hit uh, the kind of milestone you don't want to hit, and that is 50% of our inpatient population was COVID. Wow. So, it, it, you know, and, and overall, the hospital has been pretty much at capacity for probably the last three to four weeks. And that isn't to say that we can't take patients and we can't take care of patients. It just means that as many beds as we have, they're full, and uh, we have to kind of wait until someone is discharged before the next admission can be can be placed. And so, it's been really busy. And and you know, for me, I wasn't thinking so much. You know, I, I kept saying, well, you know, it's it's not all COVID. I mean, by any means, it's just we're just busy, and so is everyone in the region. And then, kind of on top of that context. Then some this surge, I guess, which I hadn't even thought of as a surge, now all of a sudden is happening, and lo and behold, we've just got a lot of COVIDs in house. So it's it's overall regionally and certainly locally very very busy. And let's put this in perspective a little bit because you touched on a couple of things that some context for this. When we would talk last year about this same time, you know, the hospital hasn't hadn't returned to full capacity of doing all the normal stuff, the non-COVID things that you would be doing. So when we were talking about hospital capacity a year ago, if a hospital was full, that usually meant it was almost full of COVID patients or people who were severely sick. You didn't have sort of optional or lower level things. Now we've returned to a lot of those other things that people come in for. And what, what other doctors have told me and you have told me, like in a normal year, a normal flu season, the hospital might operate at close to capacity anyway for little stretches, right? But you throw COVID on top of that, and that's where the, the big hangup was a year ago. So not to say to people that like that wasn't a concern a year ago and it was overblown. I, I just wanted to give a little context there. But when you say 50% yeah. of patients, what are we talking about like normal capacity for the hospital and how many patients are we talking about in, in raw numbers? 
Well, we, you know, the, uh, we're, we're a critical access hospital. So when you talk about what is capacity at our hospital, we have 25 licensed beds. Now those 25, the 25 is, we're not held to that at this point because of the emergency declaration. So we can go above 25 and we've had as many as I think 31, 32 in house at one time, but the limiting capacity isn't space. You know, I, I see a lot of times on social media and things like that, people will say, well, you know, you're, you've got plenty of room. You just don't have enough people. It's like, yes, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, it's, uh, we do have rooms that aren't normally set up as part of our hospital that we could move people into, but we simply don't have the nurses and don't have the doctors to take care of all that. I'm one of the hospitalists, and so when I'm on, all the patients that are what we call medicine patients, patients that are not surgical, are my responsibility. So there's only so many I can take care of at one time, and at its peak, not even yesterday, but a week ago Monday, we had 25 patients in the hospital and five boarding in the emergency room. So that was 30 patients. Now, of the 25 upstairs, we were able to discharge four or five, and then we moved the ones from the ED up. So when we're talking full, we're talking 25, which for those in the city doesn't seem like a big number because most big city hospitals are, you know, hundreds of beds. But for us, we, our average capacity that we typically have, we, we staff to, what we have historically, is for about 12 patients inpatient at one time. That's about where it's been for years since I've been there, 11 years. Our average daily census now is about 21 for the last several months. So we're just at a, at a much higher capacity. And some of it has to do with COVID and some of it just has to do with people are sick for reasons that are not entirely clear to me, but we're there. And so like how, how many COVID patients in the hospital at this moment as we're talking on a Friday afternoon? So when we, when we said 50%, it basically is nine, I think it was nine or 10 patients out of 20 patients in the hospital. So out of the 20, nine or 10 made up COVID. Right. So for our listeners and, and from what I've been following and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Heitz, but that's like for most of the whole pandemic, your numbers were, you know, if you had five COVID patients at a given time, that was a pretty busy COVID situation for you at the hospital. So now this is probably about as busy as you've been, correct? With COVID specifically. True. And, and, yeah, that's true. What are the types of patients we're talking about now? I know what we've talked in the past has been it was becoming a, a disease of the unvaccinated. Is that still the case? Are you still seeing primarily unvaccinated individuals who are needing to be hospitalized? Yes, uh, well, that's exactly what we're seeing. So if you're unvaccinated and you get COVID and you happen to get sick from COVID, these people are being hospitalized. We do have a second kind of cohort of people that we've seen and that is elderly people that live in congregate settings, like an assisted living facility, that sort of thing. We've seen a handful of people that are fully vaccinated and they've ended up hospitalized, not with severe COVID, but mostly they've gotten COVID again. So they've gotten it despite being vaccinated, but they have what we would call mild illness. But if you're 85 years old and you have even a, even a mild illness, what we're seeing is just profound weakness, that these people are mm. not able to take care of themselves in the assisted living setting. And so they're hospitalized to sort of get them over that hump. So it's sort of the second cohort of COVID. It's not that we're treating them because they're going into respiratory failure because of COVID pneumonia, but it's sort of the other effects that COVID can put forth to people. Sure. So maybe that same exact strain of COVID in somebody much healthier, younger, doesn't put them in the hospital or doesn't put them in the same situation. That's exactly right. What about ICU capacity at the hospital? Our ICU has been full for quite a while. I mean, we, we have 
four dedicated ICU beds. And you know, it's funny that we're talking about this because I know I we were we were maybe a little cagey early on in the pandemic because we didn't want people to be afraid, you know, to sort of say, "Oh my gosh, we only have four ICU beds." Then what? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think that, and, and the main reason for that, of course, was again we just didn't want to scare our friends and neighbors, you know. But I think you know now we've seen that we can manage through that, even though the number is small. But our ICU is currently full. But what we do is. On a daily basis, we're able to flex some of those folks that aren't, you know, as sick out onto the regular medical surgical floor. So we, we've managed it pretty well. We have not found ourselves in a crisis situation where we have four people on a ventilator, heaven forbid, and, and they have to be in an ICU. We've not had that situation. Okay. Ages in general of the patients who are being hospitalized with COVID right now, are we, is it still primarily elderly are you seeing any shift in the the ages of the people that need to be hospitalized well what we're seeing is the ones i just mentioned that are in assisted living type environments they're older and they don't have like rampant covid that we would understand the ones that are in the hospital for respiratory failure and pneumonia from covid are younger by far Hmm. so uh we're looking at people in their 40s 50s wow so that, that definitely, it, it really is, what we're seeing is exactly what was talked about early on with, with vaccinations, which is it will prevent against, hopefully, disease, not against infection. And so people that are vaccinated, they can still get infected with COVID, as we talked about the elderly. But if you're not vaccinated, the odds are not, not low that you're going to get, that you could get sick. So what's the, what's the message now? I guess in summary, could you kind of summarize where the hospital is? Because I'm, I'm wondering, you know, some people might hear this and go, the hospital is full. This is a crisis. Like, is that the case? Is this like a case where you would say, all right, people lock down. We got to we gotta clear this up. Or is it just simply, if you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated? <laughs> what's, what's the message here? Yeah, my message would be, you know, if you're not vaccinated, I would really, you know, kind of implore you to, to really think hard and consider doing that because that would solve a myriad of problems. And unfortunately, you know, I, I hear, you know, some people will say, well, you're just trying to get us to get vaccinated. And I think that there's some ulterior motive that we're trying to control people or whatever. But I can just tell you as a practicing doctor in the hospital right now, nothing is more gut-wrenching than seeing someone who is intubated on a ventilator who's younger who didn't have to be there because that would have been avoided. And I can say that definitively, that would have been avoided had they been vaccinated. So you ask if we're in a crisis situation. I would say the whole state is in a crisis situation right now. If I have to transfer someone that's had a heart attack and needs to have a cardiac catheterization, good luck. You know, it hmm. is there, there. We often are transferring people to Freighter, to Gunderson over on the, on the far west side of the state. Green Bay is almost always full. And it's not going to be that way forever, but it's been that way for a month. And, you know, while it's happening, if, if you happen to be one of those people that needs help or needs that kind of care, it's, it's scary and, and frustrating for all of us. And scary for the families. I, I, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. Fortunately, that was about yeah. a year ago now. But, if you get transferred right. to one of those far off places, that makes it so much harder for your family to be with you. Oh, and even yeah. if you're not COVID and you get transferred, as we had one case in Door County where somebody had a heart attack and back in the last winter surge, hunting around the state and having to go find a place for their husband hours away. Right, right. It's gut-wrenching. It really is. What What does it mean for your staff right now? Like how, I'd imagine when you're operating in this kind of capacity, it's got to be difficult on your staff. And, and we've talked before, you know, it's, to some degree, like the restaurants and everybody else up here, struggling to find workers, struggling to attract people. And now you have something like this. So what is that strain like on your staff? 
it, it's a huge strain. And, you know, staffing is an issue universally throughout the state as far as healthcare workers are concerned. Um, we have a, a whole lot of agency nurses that are that are working with us right now. Thankfully, uh, we call them travelers because they, they, they don't work for us. They just are agency. It's tough. And, you know, we've been through, what, 18 months of this. And after the first sort of surge, we were exhausted and thought, oh, thank God, I can't face more of this. And now we're on, what, surge three or something. And it's tough, you know, and it's not just healthcare workers. It's, it's everyone. Everyone's tired of this. But um, we especially, you know, it just it gets to you when, you know, we've had a couple of people over the last couple of weeks, both of whom are less than 55 years old who have died of COVID. And that's, hmm. that's a bitter pill to swallow wow. when, when you're taking care of them. And, and there's just nothing else. You know, you do the best you can for them, but they just don't pull through. Like you said, it's been 18 months, a little more than that, of of going through this. In your mindset, I, I just imagine being very demoralized, facing the same thing again and again. And now that you're at a point where it's like, we have a solution for this. We have a way to stop you from having to do this. How hard is it to like psych yourself up to deal with this again? Well, you know, I, I guess for me, I mean, just speaking for myself, I mean, I, I always sort of have viewed this as this is what we, you know, this is kind of what we train for. I mean, it's sort of like you don't want to see a pandemic and you don't want to deal with really sick people. But when you when you decide to become a physician and you go into medicine, so I, I'm kind of I can make myself sort of psyched up to be able to work and, and not have a problem. But it's just for me, it, it makes my heart ache when there's so much misinformation out there. You know, you'll see a, a news article on social media, you know, from one of the Green Bay news stations that the hospitals in Green Bay are full. And one of the comments is lies. Hmm. You know, it's, it's not a lie, and there's no, you know, and people put comments, and and when you work in the field, you're like, no, I, I'm I'm here to tell you, that's nothing is completely factual. And for those of us working sort of quote unquote in the trenches, you know, we're privileged to be able to do that. But the concept that we're doing it because we make more money, or we're doing it because of, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what, what the mode of people think it, it is, but these are our neighbors and our friends and our family that we're trying to take care of. And, and, uh, you know, you want to do the best you can. And it's really frustrating when sometimes you can't and had they only gotten vaccinated, we wouldn't be in the situation. And it's gotta be really hard to, to see those kind of comments for so long now. And just that feeling of mistrust, you know, I, I'm guessing you never right. thought you'd be in that situation as a journalist. You're kind of used to that. Even in a small town, we get a great degree of that, of you're just trying to hide this and sure. it's like, no, we just, we don't have the story. We don't know that story. But in your case, it's always been guided by science. So it's got to be just a, a, a harder thing to, to grasp. Well, you know, you went early on in the, in the pandemic, there was this whole healthcare heroes thing, which I was never comfortable with the concept of heroes, but went from healthcare heroes to you guys are making this up to you guys are getting, making extra money and you just want this to continue to be able to control people. And I, I, you know, other than just politics in general, I don't know where that's coming from because I don't, I, it, it's just not factual. So, you know, you can, we could have a conversation if you say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned because this is a relatively new vaccine, although it's not so new anymore. I mean, after you've had, what is it, I don't know, 200 million people that have gotten the vaccine and the death rate from the vaccine is like 0.006%. I mean, I don't know what more, what more evidence you need that something is uh, effective, but uh, yeah, so it, it it is. It's frustrating just from the from the you know when you know about something and, and people people that don't know anything say no, you're wrong, and it's you know kind of exasperating. Well, I gotta say, I'm I'm sorry you have to deal with it, but thank you for dealing with it. A couple of things that I, I want to backtrack a little bit just about understanding the the hospitalizations now. A typical person when they go in the hospital, I know at one point it was almost a mandatory five day stay, sort of. And then if you were really sick, you were there longer. How long are these people who are getting hospitalized now? How long do they remain in your care? 
Well, it, first of all, I'll just, I'll just preface it by saying that really kind of all comes down to are they requiring oxygen, are they not? And, you know, are they, are they able to get up and move around or are they not? So that's the first thing. So that, that, that kind of helps us to determine whether or not they require the five-day remdesivir course that we usually do. So there are some people that are admitted with just frank weakness and they're, they're not able to, to function at home, but they're not requiring extra oxygen. So they may not necessarily get the, the medicine. And so it may not be a five-day stay. Having said that, though, that what we're seeing, unfortunately, is when people come in and, and are on oxygen, they usually are in the hospital, irrespective, rather, of the medication we give them. They're in the hospital for at least seven to ten days, just getting themselves weaned down on oxygen to the point where they could go home on oxygen. Hmm. So that's what we're seeing. The, the longest, we have someone in the, in the hospital right now who has been there for 64 days. Oh, my gosh. And still on oxygen to a level that we can't send them home because a home oxygen delivery device will not deliver the amount of oxygen they're getting in the hospital. So this is one of those things where it, it can be bad. And so that, that, that's kind of what I've said that to people like friends and family when we talk about it. And I say, you know, to me, the, the scariest thing is you just don't know how this is going to go. So some people will say, well, I, I think I'm pretty healthy. I, I don't really have any comorbidities, so I, I think I'm going to be okay. And it's like, yeah, I, I, you probably will is the reality. But if you if you're one of those that's not, you you could your life could be upended. I mean, if you're assuming you survive it, which you probably will, but let's say you do, your life's going to be upended for months. I mean, that's just a fact. And I have a guy in right now who's really sick, and he has no medical problems at all. And never in a million years would he have thought that this would affect him so much. And and there's just no way to predict. That's the part that's that's really. You, know, you like to sort of say, well, if someone is this body size and they have this cholesterol and they uh, they have this family history and they smoke, the odds of this heart attack being bad are high. And you can kind of state that and you can quantify that. You can't do that with COVID. Hmm. I mean, I just think of so often we pay attention to the, the case count or the hospitalizations or largely deaths. We measure the severity in deaths. But when you say like being in the hospital for 64 days, that's just, to me, unfathomable as somebody who's never spent a night in a hospital. And I can't even imagine that. So that's that doesn't count as a death, but that's that's pretty severe. And that's maybe something we don't quantify enough. Well, you know, it, it's one of those things where what I've said to people is, you know, all of a sudden we seem to be, you know, they're not all, not we, but in general, there are some people that death is their goalpost. And so they say, well, you didn't die, did you? And I say, well, so here's the thing. So you got into a horrible car accident and uh, you are now a quadriplegic and you can't talk. You have traumatic brain injury and, and uh, you're sitting in a bed basically a vegetable. But you didn't die. So it couldn't have been too, based on that definition, <laughs> it wasn't a severe accident because they didn't die. You know, so that's the difficulty is that you can sure. have the equivalent of that with COVID. And again, you don't know if it's going to happen. And so you, uh, that's... For, I think for healthcare workers in general, it's when you sit there and you look at this person every day and you do your level best again about everybody, you're thinking, this didn't have to be this way. That's the hard part. For most of these patients who come in unvaccinated, when they leave, you know, when they get better, do they recognize, do they do wish they would have had the vaccine? What's the impression you're getting from them or the feedback you're getting from them? I would say my sense is the, the, the majority and wish they'd gotten vaccinated, obviously, and then they, they plan to get vaccinated. You still have some, you still have that, that sort of diehard percentage of people that will, that will even, I have heard colleagues of mine, not in our hospital, say to me that they've had people that up until the day that they died, denied that COVID was real, that they had COVID. So you've got some people that are just really in this mindset of, of you know, that there's a grand 
you know, plan globally to get everyone under control or something, and they just don't believe it. But, you know, I think most people realize after they've gotten really sick that, yeah, this didn't have to happen, so I probably want to prevent this from happening again. Hmm. Yeah, it's quite a shot if you're if you're walking out of the hospital going, all right, thanks for saving my life, but, uh, yeah, I still don't believe you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. an odd take. So those were the questions I had. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you think is important for people to know or something that uh, regarding hospitalizations in the the impact in the region that, that people should be aware of? Well, you know, I guess, again, the whole thing early on, I mean, I, I was never a fan of lockdowns and things like that early on. That That's a tough pill to swallow. But I think one of the things that would be would be great is, you know, we, we really are right now at sort of a crisis situation in the state as far as hospital capacity, and, and, and that's, that's a very real thing. So one of the ways that a person can help prevent that is, you know, when you're in like a grocery store or, or a big box store or something, you know, wearing a mask, even if you're vaccinated, which I know sucks, believe me, I'm the first one to say I'm fully vaccinated. Why the heck do I still have to wear a mask? But that's one of the best things you can do. And I'll tell you for what it's worth, here's the reason that I wear a mask when I go into a store. The reason is simple. It's that I can still get COVID. I'm not worried about getting severe COVID because I am fully vaccinated. So I'm not afraid of getting COVID. What I am afraid of is testing positive, which will disallow me from working for 10 days. Mm-hmm. And when you work in the hospital for seven days at a stretch, and then you're off for seven days, and then you go right back at it for seven days, I don't have 10 days to be sick because that puts us in a real bind. And so that's the very practical reality behind you know, why you ought to mask. And right now, if you can, if you can find a way to keep yourself out of the hospital, you should do whatever it takes to keep yourself out of the hospital. Again, not that I'm suggesting that you let illness go. If you're sick and require care, by all means, we want to see you. But if there's things you can do, simple things to prevent it, like wearing a mask and trying to stay away from big crowds and things, that's still good advice, even at 18, 19 months after the pandemic started. So maybe don't stand up on a stool and try to put Christmas decorations and fall down on your concrete floor like I did. Don't do that and get sent to the hospital right yeah. now. <laughs> um, don't be a moron like thing. Miles Danhouse. I've done the same thing. <laughs> but it, not to, to make light of what you just said, a very serious statement, but um, I did actually just do that the other night. <laughs> No, no, I, and I think, and I think, I think we have to have a little bit of humor here because I think sometimes, you know, I don't think it works to be all fear mongering and and uh, totally serious. I mean, I think, you know, we're we're going to take care of you if you need if you need taken care of. But you know, when people say it's sort of like, you know, you drive a car, you make sure your brakes are okay so you avoid running into a tree. It's kind of the same thing with COVID. It's like just do some basic stuff to make sure that you're not going to get it or get sick. That's all. And I know that people fall into this camp like, well, masks don't do anything, even though there's plenty of studies that show they do, or they're not foolproof, so why do it at all? And I think of being a right. former basketball coach and the things I would tell my athletes and, and what every professional athlete does is where you try to maximize every opportunity you have to be a little healthier, a little bit better, a little bit ready to perform. So I know people who don't want to go get vaccinated, hate wearing a mask, but they will eat slightly different because they think it'll make them 2% better that day. Well, so if you think of masks, if that was gave you a 5% better chance of not getting the virus, like, is that a heavy lift for you to do that? No, it's no heavier than a lot of the things you do. Or I have friends who I know have say like taken steroids to, (laughs) to be better athletically, but won't take a vaccine. And I guarantee that vaccine is much better tested than the steroid. So there's a lot of things Absolutely. we do that just don't yeah. 
make sense when we evaluate these things because it's almost like with with covid where say if it's not 100 percent the vaccine see the vaccine is not 100 percent effective it's it's only 91 percent, not 95 you know when we first started talking about vaccines we were hoping for something as effective as a flu shot which is 40 to 60 percent effective exactly but now we're judging this on a totally different scale yeah and i you know and i you know you can take it so far as people people i think there are those that believe that, you know, we're being told to wear masks. And so that's one step toward further control or further loss of our freedoms. And, you know, and some of that is just psychology. And I understand that. But I, I think in this situation, it's wrongheaded. I mean, I, I don't think that anyone is out there to try and gain greater control over you. You know, you can make a lot of arguments that sound awfully dire about, you know, oh, some first you tell us to wear a mask. Now you tell us to get a shot. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You can make those arguments. But I just... You know, it'd be one thing if nothing really was going on, but look at the whole world. I mean, the world is on fire with this, unfortunately, and and it doesn't have to be. But uh, I just think if we can just get past this, people will. I think history is not going to judge us well as far as how how this has all all gone. No, I I agree with you there. Well, Doctor Ice, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I know for me, this message will help me. I'll mask up a little bit more and be a little more cautious. And uh, hopefully a few of our listeners will. And if, if nothing else, out of respect for the work that you and the folks at the hospital are doing, trying to save our friends and neighbors. So even if it's not for you guys, exactly. it's for, for our friends and neighbors who, as you said, there, there are a lot of them showing up in, in your building right now. So thank you so much. Right. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.